Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Do you ever wonder what therapists talk about over coffee? Well, we're three clinical psychologists. Dr. Diana Hill, Dr. Ray Littlewood, and Dr. Debbie Sorensen. And we'd like to welcome you to Psychologists Off the Clock. In this podcast, you'll get a glimpse into the books we read, the research we think is interesting, and the ideas from psychology that we use to thrive in our own lives. Our webpage is www.offtheclockpsych.com, and there you can find resources we mention in this episode, as well as other podcasts we've posted. You can also find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Well, hello, Diana. Hi, Debbie. It's good to see you. You too. Um, you know, today we're going to be talking about something that's really important to me. We're going to be talking about uh, children's emotions and kind of helpful ways to respond to children's emotions. Um, and I think this is probably a topic that's relevant to both of us um, yeah. in our daily lives. Um, and it's very near and dear to my heart, and I'll tell you why. Um, first of all, my PhD from Harvard was actually in developmental psychology before I switched into clinical work. So this is something ah. that I've been interested in for, like, years and years, and I used to do a lot more developmental work related to Wonderful. This. You know, I learned a lot about the research and the neuroscience and the, you know, all the studies that have been done during my PhD program. Um, but as a parent, I'm now dealing with kids' emotions, you know, every single day. Yeah. And I'm finding that a lot of times I'm still kind of at a loss for, okay, you know, this thing is happening. I don't understand what's going on with my child and I don't know the best way to, to respond. And so, I basically had so much I could say about this topic. I mean, I used to teach an entire seminar on this, and there Mm -hmm. are people who devote their entire lives to researching the topic of children's emotions. I mean, there's just volumes and volumes Mm. of books and studies, and it gets really technical. Um, And so the trick I had when I was preparing this podcast was to just distill it down to a few key points. And what I Mm. ended up realizing is that I think what I would want to hear is like, as a parent or somebody who's with, you know, a child caretaker or a teacher, like, what would I find most helpful? And so Mm -hmm. I had a couple things that I thought would just be sort of simple, but would actually draw from the research that we can maybe go over today. Um, Yeah, so looking forward to hearing your thoughts and experience as well. Um, But just a quick overview before I plunge in. The couple things I wanted to talk about today, one is how we can just be more understanding and aware of of developmental processes and how that mm-hmm. can be helpful for understanding what's going on. So that's part one. Part two is basically how to be what what John Gottman calls emotion coaching with your child. Like how can mm-hmm. you help your child learn and understand their emotions and mm-hmm. regulate their emotions? So I have a few uh, tips about that. Mm-hmm. And the third piece that I wanted to talk about today is about how parents can kind of understand and regulate their own emotions in order to act more consistently with their values as parents. That's so. the part I need. <laughs> okay. Number Good. three. Okay. Well, we'll get there. So, yeah. Um, so the first part is just kind of, and this is something I find so useful to think about as a framework, is that 
it's really important for you to understand and be realistic about developmental processes when it comes to children's emotions. Um, mm-hmm. And especially, I think, for people who maybe don't have this information at hand or haven't spent a lot of time around kids, sometimes we forget kids are developmentally very different from adults. I think mm-hmm. sometimes we look at them and we think they're like little mini adults and we expect things out of them that are not realistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one thing that I think is really helpful pe- for people to understand is that in terms of how your brain develops, children are not in the same place in terms of their brain development as adults. In fact, the research suggests that there's basically neural connections forming and things are getting more efficient in the brain. And just basically brain development isn't really complete until people are in their mid-20s. Yes, I heard that. The Dan Siegel's adolescence into the age 24, he's yeah. saying now, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, and there's this whole thing yeah. called emerging adulthood, you know, because we hear about mm-hmm. children a lot and adolescents. Well, even into early adulthood, some of those connections are still forming. Things are getting more efficient. Um, and so, you know, sometimes you look at a teenager and they do in some ways seem so grown up. Um, Mm -hmm. Or even like children, as they start to grow older and older, we compare them to when they were babies and we think, wow, they know so much and they're learning. Mm -hmm. We forget. They're very different from us in terms of how their brains work. And one thing that I think in terms of emotional development, emotion centers of the brain, those very primitive kind of ancient brain structures like the amygdala, the limbic system, the parts that regulate things like fear and anger, those are present and pretty well-developed very early. Mm-hmm. So kids are able to have these emotions, and really those emotions help us survive. That's how we ever yeah. make it. You know, if we didn't have fear, we wouldn't make it to adulthood. Um, right. So those emotion centers are there. So you see those emotions come out early. Mm-hmm. But the parts of our brain that understand and regulate emotions, those take longer. So like the frontal cortex um, mm-hmm. is kind of the last part to develop, and that's what makes humans unique is that we have these big frontal cortex cortices mm-hmm. and um But one thing that happens is that the connections between the emotion centers, um, and by the way, this is a little bit of a simplification, but I think it's still a useful way to think about Mm -hmm. it. But the connection between the cortex and the, um, you know, the limbic system, that takes a really long time to develop. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I think as parents, we you know, our kids just seem like these kind of wild beasts who are out of control emotionally. And they kind of are developmentally, especially those really young kids. They just don't have the ability that we have to kind of understand and be logical about their emotions and to, you know, kind of make that connection. And so that's something that I think can really benefit parents sometimes is to keep your expectations in check, that they Mm -hmm. don't have the ability that we have to regulate their emotions. And so part of what our job, I think, as parents or as caregivers, teachers, et cetera, is to help them learn how to do that and to help Mm -hmm. them understand their emotions. Um, Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about that in a second, but I'll just say one thing, and Diane, I don't know if this has been your experience as well, but as a therapist, I think a lot of times Mm -hmm. I see clients who come in to see me because they didn't learn this. They didn't learn that skill set as children. Like I I work with um, a lot of male veterans who maybe come in Mm -hmm. with like an anger issue or, you know, a lot of fear taking over. And sometimes I kind of dig into, like, you know, what did you learn about emotions growing mm-hmm. up? And, and they just didn't. They, they right. maybe taught, were taught that, like, boys shouldn't have emotions or just their family wasn't good at sort of teaching them 
that emotions are normal, they're human, and, you know, here are, you know, help them understand the full range of their emotions and help them understand how to regulate them. Right. I think there's sort of a couple of different pathways that lead to problems later in adulthood in terms of parenting those emotions. And what I notice is either one of emotions being something that have to be fixed yeah. and gotten rid of yeah. pretty quickly. So like that I shouldn't be feeling this way or, you know, um, and I think that comes from early parents that are trying to just are uncomfortable with their children's emotions. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uncomfortable to see your child struggling. And so fixing that really quickly. Uh, and then the other side of it is is the ignoring it or, or almost abandoning the emotion, yeah, you know. Right. Um, and so that gets internalized in how someone relates to themselves around their own emotional experience. Right, right. And the, so being able to sit with and sort of regulate but be with the emotion and, and be okay with your own emotional experience I think is a rare breed. I don't know how many, not very right. many people you know, learn to do that. Yeah. Well, and I think you're right. And I think that there's a cost to that in terms of how people as adults are able to understand and make sense of their emotion and have this uh, thing that we sometimes hear referred to as emotional intelligence. And what we know from the research is that emotional intelligence, um, that construct, and there's some great books and, you know, research about this, but Emotional intelligence is correlated with all kinds of good things that we want as adults. And so it is an important skill, and it helps us understand other people. It helps us understand our own emotions so that we don't feel like, oh, there's something wrong with me for feeling this way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's a really important skill, and it's one that a lot of adults who are who are with kids as parents, et cetera, um, maybe need to kind of learn how to do that themselves in order to Mm -hmm. help their children learn that. Mm -hmm. And so that's something we're going to talk about here in just a couple minutes. Um, Okay, how do you do that? Because that's the trick, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But before we get into that really quickly, I just want to also say one more thing developmentally in terms of developmental process is that Mm Perspective taking is also very mm-hmm. different for children, and mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's easy for adults to dismiss some of the things that cause an emotional reaction in a child to say, well, that's silly, um, or, you know, come on, get a grip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we say that sometimes in my household, get a grip, you know, because it's like that, they just lose it over mm-hmm. the things that seem so silly, like, I want the blue bowl, not the purple bowl. Um, But what I like to sometimes tell my husband is, think of it this way. To them, the blue bowl is their world. Like, it's like if someone took a hammer and smashed out the windshield in your car, you would have an emotional reaction to that, you know? Right, right. Um, That's kind of like the equivalent sometimes that we're Mm -hmm. talking about. So some of the things that seem maybe minor from our perspective are very big deal in their world. So that's just development developmentally, I think, something else that's really important to keep in mind. And when you do have that understanding, and you can look maybe more specifically about your individual child and their stage and specific developmental issues that they might be facing, maybe that will help you, I think, have a little bit more compassion and understanding of why you're seeing the behavior that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's there's all these sort of developmental processes around theory of mind and what age different sort of levels of theory of mind develop and right. play such a um, you know important role in understanding 
oh, like my my little one really cannot get in somebody else's shoes right now. Yeah, yeah. And this whole concept of sharing and forcing, you know, young, very young children to share or say I'm sorry when they don't even have the maybe the developmental abilities to to understand some of those concepts. Right, right. And the theory of mind is, of course, um, is what we call the ability to sort of think from the perspective of the other person. Yes. And it gets yeah. more, we as adults can do this very easily and it's easy for us to take that, per, well, most of us, <laughs> to take that perspective taking. But even, you know, theory of mind is something that kids learn as they grow, but the really complicated perspective taking, I think even like adolescents have trouble mm-hmm. with them. They tend to be pretty egocentric mm-hmm. um, and think, oh, people are thinking this about me or that about me, and yeah. they, they have a hard time, I think, sort of, and adults can too, but that's mm-hmm. a, that is an important thing to think about. It's like, what's their worldview? It's, sometimes it's a little bit limited, and that's developmentally mm-hmm. very normal. Right. That's just right. where they're at. So, yeah. 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 so how do you foster this emotional intelligence? I mean, this is kind of the next area I wanted to move into. Mm-hmm. Um, so what as parents can we do in response to our kids' emotions that's going to be helpful? And I love, um, so John Gottman is a researcher who, he's actually, I think, more famous for his marriage research yeah. in Seattle. And he does this wonderful research about, you know, couples that make it versus those that don't and some you know, skills that can people can find helpful. But he also has this wonderful book out called, it was actually several years old, but it's called Raising an Emotionally Intelligent Child. Mm-hmm. And he talks about some different styles that parents can have um, in relationship to their kids. And so I'll just kind of quickly run through um, dismissing parents, well, in relationship to emotions. They basically mm-hmm. minimize children's emotions or treat them as yeah. unimportant. You were talking about this earlier with sometimes in therapy we see down the mm-hmm. road the consequence of this. But they basically mm-hmm. try to sort of minimize or get rid of negative emotions. They're afraid that emotions are going to be sort of out of control. And so they might use something like distraction or just like glossing over it or not making a big deal about children's emotions. Yeah. So they sort of invalidate the emotion right. by not right. giving it any attention. And the consequence is that kids can end up learning that their emotions are not valid and they might have difficulty regulating emotion down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and a very similar but even more extreme um, style of parenting is disapproving, which mm-hmm. is not so much about like minimizing or distracting, but it's actually like criticizing or punishing children for having certain emotions, especially the negative emotions. So like if your child cries, you know, you sometimes might hear parents say something like, well, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about or basically acting like that's not okay or being really critical of that. And this can result in parents getting into all kinds of power struggles with their kids over their kids' emotions. Yeah. Um, Oh, Debbie, I'm such an empath. I'm like, (laughs) you're talking about the type of parenting. It really, I think as I've become a parent, it's even more difficult to think about a child being dismissed in this way or yeah. invalidated in this way yeah. and certainly see the impact of that later later on down the road in terms of people recounting their histories and their experiences. Yeah. So anyways. Just Very much so. It is. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think, yeah. you know, that's, that's a little bit extreme what I'm talking about, the, the you know, really punish, punishing mm-hmm. or criticizing. But I, I mean, I think even for myself, you know, I'm a psychologist, so I'm pretty attuned to my kids' emotions and I tend not to have that style. 
But I occasionally will, you know, use that, like, distraction or just sort sure. of, you know. And and so I think that it's it's very easy to slip in that mode. And when people have learned themselves that emotion, you know, these sort of negative emotions, so to speak, are not acceptable, it's even easier to slip into that. Mm-hmm. Because as parents, we get really uncomfortable around our kids' displays of emotions. Right. And so right. we try to reduce them by doing whatever we can think of to get that emotion out of there. Right. And um, I think there's also an automatic response maybe in subtle ways in which we've been parented yeah. that when our threat system is aroused because our child's threat system is aroused that we just go in automatically to that mode of dismissing if we we've do. been dismissed in some way or yeah, it's, yeah. If there's not much cognitive sometimes there's just not a lot of cognitive functioning up there in the parent yeah. either the frontal lobe is not on board <laughs> well hold yeah. that thought because we're going to yes, get we'll to do that, that yeah. too okay. because I mean I think that's, that's part of the trick is that mm-hmm. we may have had our own learning history around this and we may default to certain things and so part of what we can do as parents is work on that ourselves so we don't get into dismissing or disapproving Um, a third style of parenting that can also be problematic he calls the laissez-faire parenting which is actually kind of like the opposite which is not just these so these parents tend to accept emotions and provide comfort so that's good but what they sometimes miss is setting limits and teaching sort of appropriate problem-solving skills. So these parents might, if anything, like encourage too much release of emotion and sort of Mm -hmm. reward that, but they lack Mm -hmm. the sort of teaching the child to regulate their emotions or setting like limits or appropriate kind of behavioral expectations. And so they, if anything, like almost encourage the big, huge emotional displays without the, okay, now what do you do with it that's going to be socially acceptable? Yeah. Um, Sometimes we see that in the terms of sort of the parent being amused by the emotional display or being like, oh, look at, you know, Johnny's doing that, you know, thing yeah, again that yeah. goes to the restaurant. He's dancing on the table. Oh, you know? Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, and the kid is like, yeah, like out of control. Acting so, bananas, yeah. Actually, that lack of boundary for the child, I think, feels scary to the child. Yeah. Because the child is hungry for a boundary to, hey, you know, mom and dad, tell me what is, what are my limits here? Because I'm still learning my limits in this world, right? I don't know you know, where where I should be going or not going in terms of my emotional displays. Absolutely. And so we think that, yeah. you know, we're being so, oh, we're just being a relaxed parent, but the consequences to that relaxed parent is the child actually doesn't feel safe yeah. because it's not boundaries. Yeah, yeah, their emotions might feel a little out of control or they might not know how to behave and that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so this all leads us to the fourth style of parenting, which is clearly the one that you're kind of aiming for with this approach, which is to be what, what Gottman calls emotion coach. And so these are parents that that care about emotions, that value them, that can tolerate their child's negative emotions, that can be mm. there with their child when they're sad, when they're afraid, when they're angry, and is very sensitive to the emotional states of the child. So can maybe even like read between the lines, like when the child's having a temper tantrum, sometimes that's happening because they're sad or upset about something. Mm. Um, so they can kind of have that ability. So the parent's using some of their own emotional intelligence, and then mm. they're using those moments to, as like a teachable moment with a child. So mm-hmm. they will um, help the child understand their own emotions, and then they will set appropriate limits, teach acceptable expressions of emotion, and teach them mm-hmm. problem-solving skills. So sort of working together with the child to, you know, set limits and to come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he has, John Gottman has a couple of 
steps for how to do this. Um, and he has these five steps. I'm going to kind of go through these. One is to start with awareness of the child's emotions. So just paying attention to it. And really, I mean, this can take work sometimes, I think, when the parents weren't taught their own emotional awareness. Mm-hmm. And, but even if you were, <laughs> if you kind of have that skill, I think mm-hmm. sometimes you have to stop and think about it and sort of pay attention mm-hmm. um, closely. Um, the second step is to think of the emotion as a chance to um, form intimacy between you and the child in that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of referring to those moments when the emotions are high. Yeah. There's a chance there to connect with your child yeah. and to teach them. And I think depending on, you have to remember a lot of this stuff is going to be very developmentally different at different stages in terms mm-hmm. of how you do this. Like an 18-month-old is going to be really different than like a 12-year-old. Yeah. Um, yeah. But even with that really, really young child, there's a chance there to to help them understand what's going on and to form mm-hmm. that, that empathic connection with the child. Can I say something about oh, that? Oh, please, quick? yes. Just um, when my when my firstborn, um, when I had my firstborn, he had a lot of difficulty with um, sleep. And so as a bolder, at that time I was a bolder therapist, and we <laughs> hired a very bolder sleep specialist. And she had us do this practice of listening to our child's cry from a meditative, mindful state. Wow. <laughs> so we sat and we like basically were like in mindfulness, listening to the, the cycle of the cry and with the intention and with, with an open heart and the intention of really getting clued in to the changing patterns of the crying, how it escalates and then it comes down and noticing when the child was soothing himself and then when he was getting escalated again. Wow. And it actually brought, because my instinct as a new parent is when my child cried, I would run in there and like rescue, like stop oh, the crying. Yep, I'm trying to stop. <laughs> I cannot tolerate it. And it really helped me be able to, when I slowed down enough and did this practice, to really hear how he was soothing himself. One, he has that capacity. And two, when he needed me to go in. Like when was it the point where he actually needed help? But it took that awareness and slowing down and listening to get there. Yeah, well, that's such a good point because, I mean, that's, first of all, congratulations on you. That's like extreme parenting because <laughs> um, that is hard. I think that we get some sort of physiological response to oh, children's distress. I mean, but also to be able to kind of sit with that because I think mm-hmm. a lot of times that's really our rush to quickly react right. is we're really responding out of our own biology, our yeah, own to rescue like, ourselves. Around. Yeah, because we're like, ah! you know, they freak out, we freak out, we like, make it stop. And a lot of times we might do things in that moment that are not necessarily helpful. So that's a yeah. really interesting, cool idea. I'll yeah. put a link to her if you are involved in a specialist. She's awesome. Yeah, put it on, okay. <laughs> put it on our website. Yeah. Um, so the third step is to kind of list, listen empathically to the child and validate the child's feelings. So teaching them, again, that emotions are a natural part of being human. It's human that we all have them. It's not something to be avoided. And just to really be not necessarily validating of a behavior that's problematic, like the temper tantrum in the target aisle, toy aisle, that's, it's not the behavior, but it's the emotion that they're having. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a child in the toy aisle and you see a toy you want, you can't have it, there's like some sadness, loss, you know, anger mm-hmm. in that. And those are mm-hmm. very valid emotions to have in that situation. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, kicking and screaming and all that stuff is not necessarily what mm-hmm. we want and that's not valid. Um, so you kind of have to think about how you're going to respond to that. But the emotion that mm-hmm. they're having, that is a human 
reaction. I feel that same right. way when I really want something and I can't have it. I may not right. show it the same way, but it's like I feel that sense of like longing and sadness and possibly anger. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but so again, it's a chance to teach the child that emotions are fine. Um, the fourth step of emotion coaching is to help the child find words to label their emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, just to understand this is sad. This is afraid. You mm-hmm. know, this is angry. To to teach them those basic, that's a very mm-hmm. basic skill, and yet a lot of times that's a tough one because mm-hmm. we feel all the stuff and sometimes we don't know how to make sense of it. But even just by labeling it, that's a skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fifth step, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and the, and the research on labeling an emotion regulates the emotion. Yeah, yeah. Just that piece, yeah. And there's a whole, um, I don't know if it's a, called a disorder necessarily, but uh, um, alexithymia is mm-hmm. basically a term for people who don't have the words to put their emotions. So they might be feeling something really strongly, but they can't find the word. Right. And I've certainly sat with clients mm-hmm. in the therapy room who cannot tell me what they're feeling. And yeah. I'll ask them what they're feeling, and they'll start talking in circles around it, but they can't, like, put a a word to it. So Mm -hmm. that's part of emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the fifth step is that part where you do set limits and you explore strategies and work to solve the problem at hand. Again, so you're not this kind of where all you're doing is causing the emotion. You're also maybe teaching them some skills to regulate the emotion, teaching them, okay, here's the limit. Here's what you can and can't do in this this situation. Can you repeat those five steps? Just one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. For me. So five okay. steps of emotion coaching. One, be aware of the child's emotion. Mm-hmm. Two, recognize the emotion as an opportunity for intimacy and teaching. Three, listen empathically and validate the child's feelings. Mm-hmm. Four, help the child to find words to label the emotion. Mm-hmm. And then five is to set limits while exploring strategies to solve the problem at hand. Right. And There's- Oh, go ahead. There's, there's a, um, I feel like it's missing a step. What's that? <laughs> at least, well, right, you got I noticed. Can we just revise? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Um, it's our podcast. It's, right? In my, in my um, parenting, I actually think it's really hard to get the child to um, put words to their experience before they actually embody their experience. Mm-hmm. And what that means is, like, hold on, I'm going to have you take a minute to just notice what you're feeling in your body right now and try to do, like, have, support them in doing their own check-in because I think that sometimes we go straight to, oh, you're feeling this or you're feeling this or, you, feel, you know, yeah. and they haven't had, like, they haven't had enough time to get up into the frontal lobe to put language to it and they need to be, like, in their bodies first a little yeah. bit. So when I'm doing some of this coaching, I usually do a little bit of embodiment work or mindfulness of the body mm-hmm. before we go to putting the label on it. Yeah, and I think that that's, um, you know, if you if you get into this and you read this book, I think you'll see that there's some w- some different ways that, that you can do that. Those are really great strategies. It's, you know, in the beginning, you might be kind of putting out some feelers, like, are you feeling this? Or mm-hmm. in, your, in this situation, I might feel this way. But you're mm-hmm. also really asking the child, and you are trying to get them to check in. So, mm-hmm. yeah, right. so a little bit of, like, mindfulness of emotion and kind of mm-hmm. helping. And so a child who's pretty advanced at this can probably – Like your children, you've worked with them. It sounds like they might be able to stop and check in and put words to it and tell you Mm -hmm. what they're feeling. And so that's a great skill. That shows me that you've been working with them and that you're helping them connect with their emotional experience in the body, the sensations, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great stuff. And actually, I'm going to kind of jump into another book that has been pretty popular. It's more current, and it's called The Whole Brain Child. 
I don't know if you've seen this, Diana, but it's by Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. And so they get into this, some of the neuroscience in this book. I love it. It's really written for parents. Um, And he, he, I mean, Dan Siegel is really kind of a mindfulness neuroscience researcher and so it's super cool hero. Yes, that he's I love read this book yeah and along with Tina Payne Bryson and they've just done this wonderful job of taking that mindfulness and neuroscience and, and brought it into this world of the child and parents mm-hmm. and so they talk about um, something I think is kind of similar to what you're saying um, and similar to Gottman as well which is um, connect and redirect that yeah. in those moments when children are really emotion emotional logic just does not work and if you try to like sit there and reason with them and use logic it just you feel like you're up against against a brick wall and instead what he recommends again is kind of taking that moment to connect and validate emotions and then redirecting to acceptable behaviors teaching them limits respect all that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um so you know i mean i just think that's a great example of kind of what Gottman talks about too, which is just in the heat of the moment is that you want to just slow down and use that opportunity to connect, mm-hmm. not jump into punishment, not jump into logic, but instead kind of explore what they're feeling. Um, mm-hmm. So, and then he also, or they, they also talk about um, name it to tame it. The kids yeah. really need our help making sense of big emotions that they're having. And so we're helping them understand it. And and that alone is a big step towards sort of taking them out of that moment. Mm-hmm. And I want to also point out, you know, both in both of these approaches, it's there is that piece about setting limits, redirecting, problem solving. And I know that it's easier said than done. You know, half the time I feel like I don't know what to do here. But, right. you know, you can do some things like, for instance, I mean, I'll just give an example you know, the target, let's go back to the target toy aisle. You could say to your kid, really from a compassionate place when they're having that meltdown, you know, like I can tell that you're angry and that you're upset right now um, about that toy you can't have. And mm-hmm. I, you know, you that's where you might do your like mindfulness check-in, get them to, mm-hmm. to do a little bit of this. Um, but you could also even maybe say something to role model, like, you know, I feel that way too when I have something I don't really, mm-hmm. that I really want. But mm-hmm. you know what? It's really not okay to yell and kick at Target. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then, you know, you could maybe say something like, if you really want that toy, maybe we can put it on your birthday next list for mm-hmm. next year. Um, and now can we go to the other aisle and pick out a water bottle to go in your mm-hmm. lunchbox or something mm-hmm. like that? So you're kind of using that as that moment to connect with them. And you'd really want to do this from a compassionate place where you're really, like, stopping, looking at them, in the eye, kind of slowing down the shopping trip just to mm-hmm. take that moment to really connect mm-hmm. with them and to explore that that yeah. moment. And I think it's really one thing that I sort of toggle with in my parenting is how often to use the distraction or that in the future you'll get this thing mm-hmm. because that that I think is a is a dangerous line yes. and because. It's actually, I have found, really important for a child to be able to hear, to to have the no and be able to sit with the no or have the, you know, or sit with the I can't have that. I've seen in my practice, I I, um, have seen my practice young adults coming in and getting a no for the first time, like didn't get accepted to college or didn't, you know, get the job or, and literally like just devastated because I've always gotten it. Like I've always gotten what I wanted or, and, and it's, 
it's actually a skill to be able to sit in the know. Oh, and absolutely. so being able to hold that line with a, as a parent, is, it's painful because you want to say, oh, honey, we'll get that for you next week or maybe next time. You know, that's yeah. an easy one. Like maybe next time or maybe it's so-and-so's birthday party you'll get you know, the prize that you were so sad that you didn't get at this birthday party. But actually is rescuing them from the feeling that they actually need to feel and develop some strength around feeling, which is disappointment. Yes. Or anger or or whatever it is. It's absolutely an important skill. And also, Uh yeah, for them to know that they can't just have everything they want, that they do sometimes. There are limits. They do get told no, you know, that that's... And that it's normal to have feelings in response to that, and they can tolerate it. Yeah. You know, because I almost feel like if you always say yes, 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 or maybe later, or, you know, I maybe I shouldn't have thrown in that. Um, maybe we could put it on your birthday list example, because I think even if they do kind of learn, oh, maybe not now, but later, it's like they never really come to terms with the fact that sometimes yeah. in life you can't have everything you want, yeah. and you are disappointed, and that's okay. Yeah. Like, I know that you can tolerate that. I'm not going to yeah. try to fix everything in the world for you. Yeah. Yeah. The analogy sometimes I'll use with parents and coaching them around this because it kind of shows up in parenting a lot is one of an inoculations where you're allowing your child to have inoculations to distress or let down or um, not getting what they want so that they grow that strength and immunity so that later in life when it really happens, yeah. <laughs> they can handle it. Absolutely. And it's much that we, the struggle that we allow our children to have early on is really important for the strength later on. I agree. And yeah. without that struggle, we become actually really um, unable to to function well yeah. in the world. And let them get yeah. out there and make mistakes and try things yeah. and have Lots big emotions. And yeah. yeah, that's an important part of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so there's so many different things you could teach. And there's also skills you can teach to help them learn to motion, regulate emotions like, you know, all the pausing, taking a deep breath, you know, and, and that's stuff that I feel like, um, you know, we don't need necessarily need to get into for this podcast, but that just knowing that those skills, like my daughter's preschool, they have this thing where they make peace. Mm. So they make peace and they sit down quietly and they close their eyes and they kind of sit still and they make peace. And I'm like, I just love that they teach them that at her preschool. Mm-hmm. And she does yeah. it at home sometimes. And I'm yeah. just, just to watch her do that. I'm like, that is such a skill. Yeah. I struggle with that myself sometimes. I know. Yeah. So anyway, so I'm going to now kind of move into our final piece here as parents. We talked about, you know, development. We talked about being in motion coaching. And to me, the third part, and this is, this is also can be a challenge, but it's so, so important, is as a parent, understand and regulate your own emotions and operate from a place of your values as a parent. So mm-hmm. I think it's really important for parents to give some thought to what kind of parent they want to be and mm-hmm. to do that when they're not in the heat of the moment, to actually yeah. sit down, whether it's, you know, looking at some of your parenting role models, you know, maybe someone in your life that you think is just a great parent or read some parenting books or, you know, there's just so many resources, but give mm-hmm. it some thought, like what matters to me? Like I really care about treating my children with respect. That's the value that I have. And mm-hmm. I find that sometimes when I'm in the heat of the moment and my kids are, I don't always treat them with respect. And so Mm -hmm. I need to know that as a framework so that I can catch myself when I slip into, you know, disrespectful behavior that I can work on that. Because to me it's really important. I think if you know your values as a parent, you can stop in that moment instead of just reacting. Be the parent you want to be. Yeah. I also think we can, a lot of times we complain about the parents that we had, (laughs) you know, and 
I actually think another angle is to think about what are what is the lineage that was passed down to you that you want to embody yeah. and carry forward. You know, I think about my parents and how they really did a great job of me always feeling unconditionally loved, you know. Right. And and whenever I remember breaking something that was, I think it was like my mom's favorite bowl, and I broke it, and I remember her getting down really low with me and saying, everything in the world is replaceable, honey. Yeah. The only Aww. thing that's not replaceable is you. And I find myself, that hit me so deeply, and I tell that to my kids. And if that's the piece that I want to pass down from my, from my parents, rather than always, we always, you know, we remember all the horror yeah. stories. What are the memories that we really value from our own parents that we want to carry forward as well? That's a great idea. Yeah. Like, think about what your parents did right instead yeah. of, yeah. And yeah. maybe incorporate some of that. That's great. And I also think, yeah, so kind of give some thought to that. What kind of parent do you want to be? And think, and then try to have that in the moment. And then when you are in those moments, just regulate your own emotions. I mean, this can take work, um, but it's just, to me, it goes without saying that things like yelling, any sort of abuse or even borderline physical stuff, like, it's just not okay, period. But yeah. even, like, when we get so emotionally aroused that we do things that are disrespectful to our children or that are just not the parent we want to be or get really super authoritarian or mm-hmm. just say things that are critical, you know, it's like, you that's you. You need to check yourself. <laughs> you know, that is... That's you being reactive, and again, like you mm-hmm. said with the baby, like you're trying to make the baby stop crying out of your own reactivity and your own discomfort, mm-hmm. and so that's where parents, I think, need to do the work themselves. Um, and also, you know, you can role model emotional intelli- intelligence mm-hmm. to your children. You can talk to them about your own emotions. You can let them see you regulate your emotions. You can show them, like, you know, I'm upset, and show them the way that you'd like them to respond Mm-hmm. And I think that that modeling of emotion regulation is probably way even more important than the sitting down and having them label their emotions, <laughs> you know, even that, because yeah. when because of this, um, I was going to talk a little bit about this neuroscience of mirror neurons. So mirror neurons being neurons that fire when you have an action, but also when somebody else has an action. So if somebody lifts up their arm or makes a frown at you, the area of part of your brain that makes that would be making a frown has mirror neurons in it that would fire. And those are particularly important for small children. So little babies, like I have a little nephew, and you stick out your tongue at him, and he sticks out his little baby tongue at you, and he makes raspberries, you make raspberries back. That's because he has mirror neurons that are you know, registering that facial expression. So our that children, is so cool. I mean, that yeah. that's just the cool. Not crazy. Yeah. yeah. And it's no one's teaching him here. Stick out your tongue. He's just his little brain area is is doing that. And so the same is true in terms of our emotional responses. And so kids are picking up on our facial expressions and our bodies and our internal systems way at a high, high, high level, way more than they are what we're actually saying, what we're telling them to do. And there's a good amount of research that in particular, anger and frustration are the things that um, are transmitted most rapidly in terms of mirror neurons and in terms of children picking up on our emotional states. And so it's really important that 
And when there's a discrepancy, when we're saying, honey, you just need to calm down, but inside we're feeling like we're going to blow up, they're sensing our blow up and not what we're saying. So it's really important that we regulate ourselves and that we have congruency between what we're feeling on the inside and then also what we're communicating verbally to our kids. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. Well, and just like with kids, that it's normal and human and valid to have emotions, it's also, I think, you know, parenting is hard. I mean, it just, it has those moments when it brings you down to your knees, you know, and it's very normal as a parent to have emotional reactions to things that are going on with your kids, you know, so it's not like, oh, you shouldn't, you should just walk around on this, you know, in this, like, total zen state all the time and not have any, well, and, you know, even zen states with there would be an emotion there somewhere. But, like, it can be frustrating. It can be scary. Mm -hmm. It can take a lot of patience to be a parent. And yet, you know, it's really important for you to to recognize when that's coming up for yourself. And that's, again, that's when you need to slow down, check yourself, regulate your own emotion, and be that parent that you want to be. You know, go back Mm -hmm. to your values as a parent and think, okay, in this moment, how am I going to respond? Am I going to respond by freaking out and yelling and, you know, getting that all fired up? Or am I going to stop and be kind and be an emotion coaching parent and do whatever it is, you know, in terms of whatever you've decided at that stage is the best way to parent? Mm -hmm. Can I slow myself down and, and respond in that way? And it's okay to verbalize that process, too. Sometimes I'll say to my kids, I feel my energy and anger in my body is rising so strong right now that I am not going to be able to say something that is calm. And I'll say that. So mom is going to take three breaths and go into the other room, and then mom is coming back. (laughs) And that is actually demonstrating, you know, what to do when our emotional system is so strong, we actually need to remove ourselves. That's actually what you do with anger management with adults, is remove yourself from the situation before you do something really problematic. Yeah, and you're role modeling it. As role modeling, and that's what I mean by congruency. Congruency doesn't mean you have to always be calm and saying you're calm. But congruency is not pretending like you've got it together when inside you're blowing up. But actually coaching verbally yourself, and you can also verbalize that to your children as you do it. And I think that's fine. I mean, it's, it's, it's what they say around, like, conflict with parents in terms of if parents are fighting. It's more, it's better for the children to see the parents fight and the parents resolve the fight than for the parents to go in another room and fight and the kids just sort of know that they're doing something in there, you know, Um, that that the resolution and and the the calming ourselves down in the process of that is is just as important as the end point or outcome. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's such a good example. And I think other emotions too, like I will sometimes tell my kids if I'm, oh, I made a mistake or I'm embarrassed or I'm sad about something. And I just, I think that to me, what I'm trying to do is to also show them that I have those emotions, they're okay. And that, you know, that's part of the human experience and that I have a label for it. And that to me, that's the way that I'm showing them that those are also emotions that are out there and that it's, we're sad sometimes and that's okay. Or we get embarrassed, we get our feelings hurt. Um, And so I'm kind of trying to role model to them that I can label my emotions and that it's not going to be the end of the world if I feel embarrassed or sad or something. So, yeah, I really, I pity the child as a perfect parent, right? Right. Because then they have the expectation for themselves to be that too. And that's a real setup. Yeah. Like showing your vulnerabilities and your mess ups is 
a really kind thing to do. Yeah, to it teaches kid. them that we're all human, right? We're all yeah. in the same soup together. So, yeah. Well, you know, there's again, there's so much that could be said about this topic, and I just want to, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, thank you, Diana, and thank you for sharing these great examples and your knowledge about this, and just say to our listeners who are in the trenches with kids and kids' emotions and our own emotions that this is, you know, hard stuff, and I really hope that something in here has been helpful to you because, you know, I think it's a good reminder every once in a while. I have a PhD in this stuff and I still catch myself not knowing what to do and I have to remind myself and go back to these resources. And so good luck to everyone. Yeah. And if you use any of this and try it out and it works for you, make a little note of it in iTunes. Write a review for us and write down what you did because we're curious if you people out there are using these skills, applying them to your life. So write a review for us in iTunes, and we may read them on the air if you um, write something that we think that would be helpful for our, our listeners to hear. Yes, we would love yeah. to know about it. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, thank you, Diana. Okay. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Psychologist Off the Clock. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes. You can also find us at www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's offtheclockpsych.com. Music by John Goo and Susie Stevens.